Innovation's messy. We love it, but man, is it ever fraught with problems. Outcomes are never certain, so why would we ever commit to something crazy like that? Well, today on Eyes on Impact, we have Adi Riazi joining us. She's the CIO of Hearst Corporation. You heard me, Hearst. That multi-billion dollar global media and tech giant, Hearst. Now, you're going to love Adi, and quite honestly, she's amazing. And prior to joining Hearst, one of the things that Adi did was she was the Assistant Secretary General and Chief Information Technology Officer for the United Nations. In addition to being CIO, she started a school because, well, who doesn't? And she's the founder of Chief Information Officers Without Borders, CIOs Without Borders. Why? Because innovation needs purpose. That's where the excitement lives, in a purpose. That's where tech and people come together, that amazing place that we call human impact. Now, before we get into our discussion with Adi, I just want to say thanks to Logitech, one of our collaboration and solution partners. And we appreciate you believing with us in human impact and helping us tell a human impact story through Eyes on Impact. So are you ready to get going? Well, let's get after it. Well, hey, everybody, Brad Souza here, CTO at AVI Systems, and I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have today. You're going to love our guest and the conversations that we're going to have around the role of the CIO and the human impact where tech and people meet. We've invited today Adi Riazi to join us. Adi is the CIO of Hearst. Many of you know Hearst is a global media force information company. And uh, Adi is going to be joining us in our conversation. Adi, welcome, first of all, to Eyes on Impact. Thank you for giving us your time today. My pleasure, Brad. Thank you so much for inviting me. You bet. I, I personally want to just say at the beginning here that uh, since I first uh, became aware of you, started reading some of the interviews you've done and conversations that you have, I've been looking forward to our conversation today. I'm excited about having it. Um, how about we help people connect with you a little bit? Let's start with um, your role at Hearst, your CIO there. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Get us started. So thanks again. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm, I've actually made my 10th month anniversary here at Hearst. Ah, congratulations. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually uh, too dangerous to talk about it because I don't know enough, but I think I do after 10 yes. months. Um, this is an incredible company. Uh, it's the first privately owned uh, company uh, that I have the privilege to work. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I'm learning about the culture and it has an incredible culture. And that was one reason I agreed to come to Hearst. Um, and, um, and I'm the corporate CIO. We have over 350 brands and companies under Hearst. Yeah. And when I tell people you know, I work for Hearst, they're like, oh, that's media. I'm like, no, no, it's so much broader than media because um, Fitch, which is a rating company, is part of Hearst. Yep. Uh, yep. We have gone into healthcare. We have incredible healthcare companies. Uh, of course, television um, and newspapers, magazines, your favorite magazines and newspapers um, are here. And that was you know, my favorite uh, magazines and newspapers are here. So I get it for free now. And, uh, and I, that, that was like an exciting part. It's like, yes, I well, get to get all of there. them and read about them. Um, and uh, we have aviation and transportation. So I, 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 if you look at my background, I've been in many sectors, uh, such as transportation, aviation, yeah. healthcare, media, uh, and, and communications. 
and and others. And and when I looked at hers, I, I, I thought, God, if you look at the impact of tech on every discipline, all of these areas are going through major transformation. And um, to be part of that transformation, to contribute positively in terms of helping the consumers, the viewers, the organization to grow and, and adapt technology is just such an incredible privilege. So I am privileged to be here. I've made my 10th month and uh, I hope that I can continue to contribute. Yeah. So you've had such an interesting journey. I mean, you were at, you were the CIO at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is a world famous healthcare provider in New York. I, I want to say you were uh, Assistant Secretary General and Chief Information Technology Officer at the UN. You were at O&M before that. I mean, that's a really diverse set of experiences. What, what uh, motivated you to make some of the changes that you made and, and apply your skills to such a diverse group of organizations? You know, that's a great question because it's a checkered. See, I call it a checkered zigzag background experience. Um, I am, I am very curious, and I think that's my problem, my weakness as well. I'm just too curious. And I tell you the story when I was a kid, and um, it also leads into why I became an engineer. But when I was a kid, I remember that uh, I was four or maybe five. My brother got a watch and I got this cooking set. I was like, why am I getting a cooking set? Girls get cooking sets. I want a watch. So when he was asleep, I took his watch and I planted it. And I figured that I'm going to water this and it's going to grow. I'm going to have my own watch. Well, I kept watering this and he was looking for his watch, couldn't find it. After two, three weeks, there, there, there was no buds. There was no watch coming out of the ground. So I took it out. I opened it up. And I said, let's see what's inside. I'm curious. I wanted to maybe build one. So I took it apart and took all the gears off and um, I couldn't put it together. Uh, and I still can't put things together after I take them apart. And I have a bad habit of taking things apart. Um, anyway, I buried it again. Uh, but the, 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 the thing about me is I'm curious about things I don't know. And I love to just go in and, and see how technology is impacting that business. So I've gone from government, which I was in transportation, I'm in the CIO of the MTA, New York City Transit Authority, long time ago, putting love in that. the Metropark yeah. project. Yeah. And I went around manufacturing in a Navy yard, building trains and buses and trucks. And I said, that would be fun. Right. You know, I love trucks. I love trains. And... Um, um, let me try that. And I think that is just being curious and wanting to learn. And from that sector, I went to O&M, which was an incredible role, a global role to, um, and then advertising and media was going through a major transformation. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. With above the line, moving to below the line, moving to above right. the line with digital, with search yeah. up or advertising, lots of M&As globally of digital companies. Um. And from that, I went to Housing Authority, which was back to government, which was a different experience. Um, and I remember I didn't last long as a CIO in the Housing Authority. <clears throat> I was there maybe three, four months, and um, and I was asked if I could handle procurement. You know, the, the chairman said, you know, you're a CIO, you buy a lot of stuff, it looks like maybe you can be the CIO and a CPO. And I said, fine, I will 
you know, I give it a try. I like buying things. Um, and then within a few months, the general manager of Housing Authority left. And the chairman said, well, you look like you could do a CIO, CPO. How about you be a general manager as well? So I moved from being a CIO to run um, New York City Housing Authority in the Section 8 program. So I, I just, I think it's just in my blood, being curious and wanting to figure things out. So it's one thing that I think there's a lot of people that are curious and have a strong curiosity, but it's another thing to be both curious and courageous. And it seems to me that you have both. I think so, that's euphemism for crazy. <laughs> Not okay. courageous. A little bit of crazy in there. Sure. A little crazy. You know, how hard could it be? You know, I, uh, I've made crazy decisions. I, uh, especially if I find a few drinks, you know, I was, um, it, it was over Christmas 10 years ago where our kids' school closed. And yeah. the second drink, I said, how hard is it to open up a school? And well, my husband knew we were in trouble. Three weeks later, we had a school. Nursery through eighth grade. So I think it's a bit of craziness along with being curious. But if you are not willing to take a risk, yeah. We have so many blockers and dogmatic views and things that hold us back. And I think if you, if you open up, there's not much that you can't do, really. We're all executives. We're all managers. We're all leaders. It doesn't matter what sector you're in. As yeah, long as sure. you can have a vision and have a strategy and, and uh, be able to develop talent and seek the right talent, I think that we can do a lot. Well, I, I love that. Um, and and it, it sounds to me, Adi, that your experiences have taught you that it's okay to do crazy things once in a while, e even, if, even if the outcome isn't what you expected, because you at, least, you at least learn, right? Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn is kind of the way I say it. And, and I don't know that you ever fail. I think you just learn differently as a result of that. So, so you mentioned, I'm going to go down a path here. You mentioned your, your role, I think you said with MTA, where you're a CIO, CPO, came general manager. I, I want to I lean into that a little bit on the role of a CIO, if you don't mind. Because I think my experience has been, uh, most of my customers are CIOs. And my experience has been that the role of the CIO has really taken a, a shift in the last I don't know, five, eight years, maybe. And I'm curious if you see a similarity the way what I'm seeing. And that is uh, a CIO used to be somebody that was promoted because they had become the Uber skill. Maybe they were the best coder or they really knew infrastructure or they knew security or whatever it was. They were the best at the tech. Um, but today I think, I think it's shifted and uh, I'm not sure that CIOs are comfortable with it, but they're more business enablers. Uh, they have to, we have to, we have to understand and, and, and own the tech. We have to make that work, but it's less about the tech and it's more about enabling a business. Is, do you see the same kind of thing happening? Um, yes. I mean, through my career, I've, I have changed and I know yeah. my world's changed and I, um, and, um, so we were operators, we still operators because we operate right. the organization and we got to keep the lights on. But, um, you know, tech is, uh, 
technology has changed and, and therefore we had to change. I mean, the technology wow. has huge impact on human life and society on yeah. governments, policies, politics, um, huge impact. And, um, <clears throat> and I always say good, a great CIO is someone between Churchill, Mother Teresa, and a Kamikaze <laughs> pilot. Oh. And you got to know what role you play at what time, at what entity. We are the catalyst. And I think that, that we, we, we went through up being an operator to the phase where I think we confronted a serious paradox. And the paradox right. in, in our role and in our sector was IT used to be about hardware, software tools, right? And we manage that. But we don't manage that anymore. We manage experience. Up to That's exactly right. right. On the yeah, society, so on the government, on, 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 on the company. And that's what a paradox is. It's not about the tools anymore. Everything's on a cloud. Everything is SaaS. We are buying versus build. We are integrators. We are catalysts. We are storytellers. That's we need right. to get organizations to fall in love with the vision that they're going to be competitive, that they can grow, and they're going to provide this optimum uh, service to their customers, viewers, you know, citizens. And take them to the unknown space, right? Right. Which is very scary. Now, we generally, and I'm an engineer, I, I, we're left brain folks, you know, we think we logically, analytically, I don't think I had one philosophy class during my engineering uh, studies, but we almost have to be historians, we have to be theologists, we have to be philosophers. That's right. Because you can't be one dimensional. The impact of tech is, is not just efficiency. The impact of tech is huge change. Yeah. And right, those change are soft, a human-machine connection. When you bring those two together with rules and regulations around that, you get these unexpected um, results, unintended consequences, some good, some bad. That sure. we can't predict because our, the way we think about things, our predictions um, are limited to time frames of one or two, three years versus 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We don't understand causality uh, holistically. We understand correlation a little bit, not enough, but we don't mm. understand causality. And so we are not broad. We have great sophistication in tech, but we are not broad thinkers as the impact of this, the, the impact of this technology in 30 years would be this. And I could give you a ton of examples from my experience at the UN as how, you know, as how innovation was helpful and supportive, but also the innovation, and we can even talk about the the internet, the biggest innovation of the 20th century, had shifted crime, espionage, criminals to the dark web that we could no longer keep up with. So, and, and we don't think about it. When we innovate as innovators, right, it, it, we, we, we think about how wonderful this is today versus is this wonderful 20 years from now? What's the implications right. of this 20 years from right. now? So, you know, in my role as the, as the CIO of the UN, every morning I woke up and I thought about 
But, you know, we have 150, I mean, you think about human trafficking, we have 150 billion people trafficked, mostly through the dark web. That's right. Which is ungoverned. It's it completely shifted the commerce or weapons trafficking, money laundering, right? Things that in the physical world we could manage, we can control, we had understood, you know, security around it, but it all shifted. And we couldn't, as innovators, uh, predict, predict what will happen because we don't understand causality. So go back to your first question. What's mm. the CIU of today? CIU mm. today, you have to be a philosopher. You have to be a featured fortune teller. You have to understand impact of what you do today on every aspect of society, the climate, not only human life, but climate level. And be responsible have that responsible innovation um, versus just innovating for the sake of innovation, for the sake of efficiency, for the sake of effectiveness, it, it, that, that phase has passed us. So I want to talk about that a little bit, this idea of, of um, the social impact of innovation and having responsible innovation rather than just innovation in general. So. What is what does that look like in, in a practical way when you're working with your team, as an example? Um, I think that I mean we are the, the team at Hearst. We are developing products across many sectors. So you're developing products around healthcare. There are big issues right. around healthcare, around privacy of data, protection right. of the consumer, protection. So that's just it. It, it raises many questions. The Gen AI coming in. Yeah. And us embracing Gen AI, you get a lot of ethical and moral questions around Gen That's AI. Right. right? Because the Gen AI is learning from our prejudices. We are not. Uh, whatever we learn, whatever content we feed to AI is skewed. So we are teaching it. We are, we are, and then we are trusting these very complex algorithms. That's to make right. decisions which is based on prejudice that we have brought in with our previous knowledge. So um, so I think that, that thinking is critical if you think about areas that we're getting into, let's say aviation, transportation, even healthcare with IOTs and sensors coming in, where we're tracking either self-driving vehicles, you're tracking your patients, all of that data, what does that mean? How do you again protect? Mm -hmm. How do you protect? Um your patients and your consumers, viewers. Um, how do you how do you how do you know what's true and what's not true with AI? We are in broadcast and we are in, in publishing company publishing company, but there is so much content online that now it would be generated automatically through AI. Is it real? It's not real. I've seen right. when I was at the UN that around election time at different countries, you could easily decimate wrong information and skew election in a country. I mean, these have huge impacts, huge political impacts, huge financial impacts. So as you are thinking about innovation, think about that what you mentioned earlier is connected, connected to the human life, connected to yeah. the society, right? Because innovative people are paying. That's the truth. I mean, I, no one wants innovative people. We disrupt, we change things, we we bring new ideas. Nobody it's wants messy. us. But innovation it's is messy, messy, isn't it? But yeah. but without innovation, we are doomed to entropy and stagnation. So you yeah. cannot not have innovation. 
But irresponsible innovation is something that we have to deal with. You know, we are, and I use AI, just use AI as an example, because we're all so excited about it. Sure. We're all so excited about Gen AI. But, you know, I look at, I look at statistics globally, and I, globally, we have 50% youth unemployment. Globally, especially in developing markets. And most of the youth that get jobs are in military or they are in, in mining, they're in agriculture, they're manufacturing, transportation. A lot of jobs in these areas are going to get hit. So imagine 50% youth unemployment is going to shift to 70%. It's going to shift to 60%. If you look at U.S., 20% of jobs are in Midwest or in trucking. With self-driving trucks, where does truck drivers going to go? Half pass are we generating new jobs, retraining them. So right. you start to shift, you start to see this impact on unemployment. And you already have impact on the climate with, with, with drought and less rain and, and, um, and movement of people. So you, you combine those things and which you buy for yourself is disaster because hmm. now you're going to get unemployment, unrest. Lack of food, lack of health care, disease, right? All of these things start to expand. So it's wonderful to be so excited about AI, but we have to think about its impact on all aspects of life and think through how do we mitigate? How do we retrain? What is, you know, if, if all these jobs are going to get automated and modernized, then what are the new jobs that we are creating as? government, private sector, NGO, civil society. What does that mean? How do we deal with e-waste? I mean, that's just right. complete irresponsible approach of just building things, creating things, and not even thinking about the, the impact of waste on, on the society, on the climate. So I'm just little examples. These are examples right. that, that so we don't think about. So, so let me let me ask this question. So, part of the the uh, challenge for me as a CTO, um, and I lead as I lead my team, which are a team of designers and architects, uh, enterprise architects, designers, uh, engineers. Uh, you talked about the left brain first kind of mentality in, in this in this concept of responsible innovation. The the focus is on the is on the consumer. The focus is actually, from my perspective, the focus is on how do I improve the life of the person that's consuming whatever this tech is that we're delivering. And that concept, the, the ability to create that empathy with, with that user, that's kind of foreign to most engineers. They, they want to calculate the result before they start. Uh, and, and I appreciate, I, I'm respectful and honor that, but the reality is, is that if we're going to really have impact in people's lives, uh, it's, I don't know that you can calculate what the impact is. You have to somehow create an empathy with that user before you start. How, how, do you, first of all, do you agree with what I just shared? And if you do, how do you, how do you foster that inside your team? I, I fully agree with that. I think it is, um, as, as I go back, it's about experience. Yeah, exactly. The experience of what you're innovating. And it's not mm -hmm. only on your today's customer, right? It's on your future's right. customer. And right. it's not only on a human. It's on, on so many broader impacts, right? I mean, you think about, think about ransomware. 
yeah. we all deal with ransomware. The code for ransomware was written was written for good purposes. Right. Right? By government. It got right. away. It got out. Right. Is amoral. Tech doesn't understand good and bad. That's right. You know? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, and good and bad subjective anyway. Good to you, right. maybe bad to me. These are just things that are, we really need big philosophers to come and debate over these things. Um, but um, we are no longer, I think the way we were brought up, I went through engineering school, it was extremely um, uh, academic and it was strictly, you know, here is how you innovate, this is your physics, this is your math, right? We did not learn how to innovate. We did not become broad thinkers around our innovation because then mm. we were building hardware software. Now we are building a new society. Right. Right. And if someone told me what you do would create a new society, and you can decide what that society would look like yeah. based on what you do. I mean, look, we created new way of life after COVID, right? You think about education and health, right? For the longest time, we talked about remote care, remote education. How do we educate and provide healthcare to all these poor people in developing markets? We did not think about it. COVID came overnight. We were innovative enough to figure it out where we could provide remote care and remote education. Right. right? So huge creativity is incredible. But, but we, we just, you know, there's, there's, there's so many issues that prevent us from thinking that broadly. But if we need to, we can think broad. And How do I you do give think permission to your team to think that broad um, when you don't, in the beginning, you may not even know whether the exercise they're going to do is going to be productive or not, or not, or maybe they're more fearful that it may not be productive. How do you give them permission to do that? I think that you can't, yeah, they all have, to, again, my team have uh -huh. the permission, especially the creative innovators, the designers sure. have the permission. They're requested, they're required to think broadly, okay. right? Even if it's small enough about product that you're developing, which has small impact, right? You've got to think broadly. I think that's what I ask my team to do. Um, it is a learned discipline. It's not easy. That's exactly it's right. It's not easy yeah. because we are black and white and that, you yeah. know, and I, I, I get it. Again, I go back to left brain folks. Um, I think the new entrance into the tech sector are uh, not all left brain. Right, because yeah, tech, right. tech is so much broader now, right? We have data scientists coming in and we have right. program managers coming in and, and, and we have analysts coming in. So we have a uh, different type of thinking coming in to make us kind of question, question what we're doing and whether it's right. It is definitely not easy, um, but I'll go to, I'll say one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you look at, um, if you look at doctors, Right. Doctors, they are really strong as a group and they hold their principles really tightly and they lobby for it and they fight for it. Right. Yes. Lawyers do the same. Us tech folks, we got nothing. Right. Wow. But we are changing the world. We are changing this world, but we don't lobby for good policies. We don't push and we don't push the tech sector back and say, listen, we can't change these things every three years because they're polluting the environment. 
I don't change my bicycle every three years. Why should I change my phone and my PC and my server and my switch every three years and upgrade the software? But as tech folks, if we had community of thinkers and advocates and lobbies, we would begin to influence the big designers, the Silicon Valley, in terms of what we find right for the society. We don't Boy, do Bobby, that. So good. I, I, I really appreciate that analogy because uh, I think one of the things that has uh, enabled my team has been there's a, there's a super strong bond between them. And they know that, that not only do I have their back, they know that they have each other's back. And so that fosters courage to be curious and to try new things. Um, I, I really, I really like that analogy. I think you're right. I, I'd like to, I'd like to dive into this uh, concept. I'd like to hear your opinion about this concept of adapt, not adopt. And here's, here's the premise that I'd like to have you comment on. Um, a lot of the work that we do is around collaboration, whether it's Microsoft Teams or Cisco or Zoom or whoever it is, where we support all of them. Um, and the work that we do is often very global. And so one of the things I think I've learned is that in the old days, like 2019, we would, we would introduce a collaboration technology and then we would create an adoption plan to try and convince the workforce to consume it or to adopt it. And adopting was a secret code for stop doing what you're doing and do something else. But the pandemic has made our end users, our consumers of this tech, uh, very savvy. And they now have their own expectations of what it's supposed, what the experience is supposed to be, to your point. And so they ad adopt means move people towards tech. Adapt means move tech towards people. And I think I hear from our user communities, they are not interested in adopting. They're very interested in, in adapt. What, what do you think about what I just shared? You know, I, oh, I said we always get Monday blues. We get Monday blues because we go home and we have all this tech. And right. then you come to work and you're like, oh, you must deal with this tech. And it's right. so dry and it's so rigid and... Um, so, I mean, look, my kids would never read an email. If I want to get my kids to, they won't even look at text. I got to snap them. Yeah. Snap them. And I'm, I, and in the beginning, I was like, what the hell is this? And then finally, I figured out what it is. And, um, and it wasn't cool for mommy to snap the kids. But now, if I don't snap them back in five minutes, they just like, mommy, you didn't snap me back. I'm like, yeah. you didn't want to talk to me before. So, what I'm saying is the young generation, they know how to communicate and they got the best tools, the finger, that's it, finger, finger tips. They come to work 18, 19, 22 years, we hire them. Then we give them this old, wonky, rigid system. So that's yes, right. we need to reinvent. We need to rethink. They're not going to take it and they shouldn't. The experience should be good when they come in to work and our consumer's experience should be good around collaboration. Um, so, and that area is changing drastically. You know, oh, I, so right? it's, it's incredible to see the young people, the way they collaborate. They're completely attached. They're part of the society. They're constant. They're in constant conversation. They're in constant yeah. collaboration. They're in constant sharing of thoughts and ideas. 
And um, now they're the, they're the new board. If you think about it, because they don't make decisions without talking to each other. And that's so right. That's the new culture. Yeah. So in in uh, in in my day, right of growing up, the problem that we were trying to solve in the U.S. was scale, and so I was taught in school that independent work was the best way, was the most valued expression of work. Yes. And so when you say to me, "Hey, I want you to solve a problem, Brad," well, I know what that means is go away, study the problem, bring back my recommendation to the team, and and show people that it's the right thing to do based upon a stack of facts that I have. But to a younger demographic, community-based work is the most valued form of work. And so when I say solve a problem, they've crowdsourced that before the meeting's over and they bring back to the team their best recommendation based upon the number of people who agree with them. And so the dependence on collaboration and, and rapid ideation and the ability to exchange information from whatever device, at whatever location, at whatever time my curiosity is peaked, that's super relevant to how I think the workforce works today, to your point, right? It's a generational uh, thing that I think that has uh, improved the way people work. It has great value. You know, the, I, this example about the gumball, the gumball machine, you, know, you have these where you go and say, how many gumballs in it? are in it and they've done research and they said if you ask eight people and you take their numbers, you divide by eight, very close, very close yeah. to yeah. what the number is. So it is about it is about collaboration. It's about us as humans becoming a more integrated mind. Mind. And and I always say about convergence on human machine. You know, you have the singularity. Mm -hmm. If we reach singularity where we are so integrated with technology that that we think together. That's I think that's our new species, right? Yeah. Because if you look at tick as species, not as think, it's not a thing, it's a species. And and I always use the example of Darwin. And if you think about evolution, evolution of humans, evolution of tech, and then the convergence of two species because of the dependencies. And they become one. There are cases where one species is smarter, stronger, and finds the other one as a virus. Mm -hmm. We know we're not the stronger and the smarter at this point, but there are times where mm -hmm. they come together in singularity and then evolve. Jobs that we did before didn't matter. Going into a room, studying by yourself, finding facts, I can do that online. Doing yeah. multiplication table, I can That's do right. that online. Learning right. new languages, I can do that online. The stuff we teach kids in colleges and high schools, 90% of them are useless. Hmm. Useless. We continue to teach sure. these things. Why do we teach them? Teach them decision-making, problem-solving, critical thinking. That's Any right. fact stating is much faster to get. That's right. But, right. but we measure our kids based on two things, memory and processing power. Those are the two hmm. things we measure human beings. How yeah. fast can you solve a problem? How much do you remember? Those things we don't need anymore. That's right. That's exactly right. right. So a lot to think about, about the future of, of humankind and and how are we going to evolve and how are we going to evolve with tech and how are we going to 
come together. I call it not adoption, not adaptability. I call it convergence. Yeah, I love that. That's really great. So you, you were talking about uh, what it takes, what, what colleges, universities should be teaching today, what it takes to really be uh, a, a, a impactful contributor in the workforce today. If there was somebody that was aspiring to be a leader in tech, irrespective of title, but just their aspiration is to lead people in a tech space, what what encouragement would you give them? What's the one thing that you would tell them, hey, you know what, this is the thing that I would encourage you to focus on? I would say technology be the least of it. <laughs> Boom. I yes. agree. Yes. You come in, you talk to me about um, philosophy and history and literature and critical thinking. If I know you understand, you have critical thinking, you're socially responsible. Yeah. You can think out of the box and you are resourceful and, and you embrace your talent, right? I mean, these are things that make good leaders. You have a vision you can inspire, yes. persuade, not yes. only like, you know, communicate, persuade. Um, these are things that I look for. And I add two more things because we always forget as tech folks that to be a good leader, you need to, you need to master two things. And these two things are power and politics. Hmm. And, and we always kind of look at it negatively. Right. Yeah. Too much politics in this organization or, you know, but you must understand if you wanted to impact something, what do you need? You need power. Yeah. And you need to work through the politics. Yeah. To create positive impact. Otherwise you create no impact. So, right. These are things they need to learn. They need to know. They need to embrace. They need to embrace it for positive change. So there's a, passion that's obvious with you. And uh, this is where I think I might want to land a plane with us today. What drives that passion for you, Adi? What, there's a, is it, is it, you have a sense of obligation? Is it that you just see a clear destination and you're going there and you're just a force of nature? You bring people with you? What, what is it that drives that passion for you? I think maybe it's two things. Okay. One, I'll give you an example of when I was um, working for Ogobi, I went to this town in China called Guayu. And there I saw these uh, pregnant women, children dismantling IT equipment full of mm. lead and mercury. And it was seeping into the water, seeping into the land, seeping into their bodies. <clears throat> and as a CIO, I looked at it and I just cried because I said, that's my stuff. That's my fault. I wow. had thought I was sending my equipment to several countries to contribute. I am poisoning these people. Wow. So I started a group called CIOs Without Borders, and its job yeah. was advocacy around lead and mercury, take this stuff off the, this, this equipment, and to give, to, to have positive, to bring positive change versus negative change to developing markets with innovation. And I think a second one, is I grew up in a country where women were, you know, would become teachers and would become <clears throat> nurses. And it was great. My my mom was nine when 
My grandmother was naive and she was forced to get married. My mm. mother couldn't have passed third grade. When all the brothers went to college. So I come from a, a, a family of women who were not given the opportunity to explore and to contribute. And, and I have found so many incredible women in the world, even those that walk 10 kilometers to carry water on their back and they took kids to the side. These are incredible women. Without the opportunity, without education, without financial independence, without the rights not to get married or not to have their children marry at night or have their child become a child soldier, soldier or traffic. So wow. I'm passionate about that because I've seen it. And I think that we are responsible at, at, as innovators to create a better world and to reduce the harm, you know, thou shall do no harm. Um, and to understand visible risk versus invisible risk and create a future, create a society that is more in harmony. So I think that I'm driven with that and those are experiences and, and, and that kind of push me forward. Well, Adi, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. You did not disappoint. I was excited about it, and you've been wonderful to talk to. It's been a great conversation. I know that we have run out of time. We just made a podcast together, and I'm excited about that. Thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you, Brad. What a pleasure to meet you, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Thank you. Take care. You're very welcome.